Hello and welcome to Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty. Before we talk about this week's podcast, I have some news. This will be my last podcast presenting Key Voices. It will also be the last episode of Key Voices for a little while. We hope to be back later in the year. I just want to say that of all the jobs I have done, (laughs) I have really loved every minute of bringing this podcast to you each week. It has been an honour, a privilege and a sheer joy to find people to come on, research the questions and talk to them and ultimately edit it and bring it to you. Especially during some of those crazy and difficult days of the lockdowns. I just want to say a really huge thank you to all my brilliant guests for being so generous with their time and their wisdom. And I want to save my final thank you for you, for listening. When we began this endeavour, we weren't really sure if people were going to be interested. And for many thousands of downloads later, uh, we discovered that people were. So thank you for having me with you while you're walking the dog or cleaning the car or or wherever it was. Um, It was an absolute pleasure to be in your ears. So thank you for listening. Right, on to this week's episode, which is an absolute cracker. I am talking to Sir Dan Moynihan, CEO of the Harris Federation, and we're talking about the terrifying cyber attack that the Trust suffered last year. It's a really interesting story. Um, And we also think about how it was to lead the Trust through that time. Then consider some of the work that Harris have done to turn around schools and how their school improvement model works. And finally, some reflections from Dan on what it's like to be a CEO. So I hope you find that interesting and useful as ever. The podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around topics. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth information on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. Today, I am joined by Sir Dan Moynihan, who is CEO of the Harris Federation. Hi there, Dan. Hello, Caroline. Great to be with you. So lovely to see you today. And can you just tell uh, any listeners who don't know who you are a little bit about yourself? Um, I'm a teacher by training and then became a head teacher and worked at two very improved uh, secondary schools in London and then went on to a third school, which became the precursor of the Harris Federation. And we've grown from one school to 51 schools all in and around the capital city and we have about 40,000 students mainly located in areas of high disadvantage around 5,000 staff working in London and uh, we've grown to an organization with an annual budget of just under 300 million and most of our growth is through uh, taking on uh, failing schools and schools in challenging circumstances Uh, and that's what we do. Wow. 
um, some really big numbers there. And um, we're going to talk um, a little bit today about the um, the ransomware attack um, that you suffered last year, and, and also something about the sort of systems and and ways in which um, you've you've worked and and how that's maybe changed um, during the period in which you've you've scaled. But we'll we'll kick off with the with the high drama. Um, and um, I'm aware that, that, that quite a few people might have, have heard a little bit about um, the ransomware attack. Um, but you, can you tell us kind of your version of events, how it how it unfolded, and ultimately how how it got resolved? Yeah. Um, so so oddly, before Easter, the the National Cybersecurity Centre uh, last year issued an alert it had received from. Uh, an American cyber organization to say that cyber attacks were going to be coming shortly to education in the UK. And at the time, we updated all of our software patches and we, you know, checked that everything was the latest version. And we took we took that warning very seriously. And then uh, a week before Christmas and uh, a week, week before Easter, I was out for a jog. Uh, one Saturday morning and got a call early in the morning from one of our IT technicians who had noticed the server had failed to back up overnight and he'd received an alert and then when he went to look he discovered that the server was encrypted so uh, I found myself in a muddy field in my jogging gear uh, early on a Saturday morning, realizing that we'd been hacked and no doubt this had malicious intent and somebody was going to ask us for money. And I think the biggest shock really was the complete lack of support that was available. Um, we contacted the National Cyber Security Center and um, they have a website listing um, various organizations that can help you if you've been hacked. And we contacted all of them on the Saturday and they all had so much business, they couldn't take us on. So that tells you how much hacking goes on. And really it also indicates that a lot of organizations keep quiet about it. Um, so on the Sunday morning, we spoke to the police associated with the national cyber security people and, and officers from there. And uh, they basically told us that they were there to support us. And when I probed what support they could give us the answer was now we've been hacked none so um we had tried and failed to find a company to work with us we'd found the support available after you'd been hacked was well you were on your own and uh, fortunately one of our directors works in the it industry and he recommended a firm based in israel uh, called signia um, who are described uh, by people in the industry as a cyber delta force and actually, many of them are ex-military working in cyber cyber operations. Uh, and um, we got them in, on board very quickly. And they were able to establish the organization that did it, which was called Our Evil. And they're a very well-known uh, Russian hacking organization. And they have hacked no end of large high-profile companies. Uh, and to our surprise, they also became part of the debate later that, that year between President uh, Biden and President Putin 
because they were hacking lots of American firms and causing mayhem. And so the first lesson really is if you think you can't be hacked, when you see the types of organizations that have been hacked and, and are evil and, and others like it have hacked Qualcomm who produce the designs and key components for Apple. Now, none of us can spend in education anything like what an organization like that would spend on preventing hacking. So I think the first mistake is to say, well, it couldn't happen here. It certainly can. If you've got a determined enough hacker, they will get into your system. So really, everything is about firstly, trying to be as secure as you can, but secondly, assuming that it can happen. And we found quickly that the plan that you have based on if this happens is absolutely fundamental. And every organization really needs a plan based on Let's assume we've been hacked. What do we do next? Um, and so we found out our hackers wanted four million dollars uh, in cryptocurrency. And if we didn't pay up within 10 days, they wanted eight million dollars. And of course, we are a school's operation. And, uh, you know, we, we can't be spending public sector money. Uh, and giving it to criminals. So we decided immediately that we wouldn't be paying whatever the consequence was. Um, and we convened a kind of principals meeting across the 51 schools uh, via WhatsApp on the Sunday afternoon, where we, we did an evaluation of whether we were safe to open. And the kind of things that run on IT typically, and this will be true of most schools, all of our teaching materials are stored on the system. Uh, everyone's name and address, um, medical records, CCTV worked on our system, a number of schools entry gates were controlled by Wi-Fi, the ability to pay for food is on a swipe card system, uh, the ability to know who we owe money to and who owes us money is all on the system. Fortunately, we'd done a payroll run just a week before, so we were not in the position of not being able to pay our staff. But we, we decided we would go ahead. Um, we also had lost some fire systems. So we introduced um, uh, fire wardens on walkie-talkies in some places. And uh, we went in with trepidation to the schools on the Monday, teaching materials not available. Uh, you know, some doors were open on entry. Some, we had a hell of a job to get them open. And um, we were determined that we were going to stay open, A, because we'd had lockdown, the children mm -hmm. had missed huge amounts of education, uh, but B, um, we, we were close to Easter and we only had a week to survive until the Easter holiday when we could regroup. Um, and C, of course, we, we had the whole business of teacher assessed grades and we needed to get that sorted and get the grades off. And of course the grades were on the system. And we didn't know uh, which parts of the system had been infected. We'd had to shut it all down to prevent spread. Um, and then we convened uh, a series of working groups, which met twice a day, uh, including online with, our, with our, our colleagues from our uh, cyber partner in Israel. And we, we, we had those meetings through the Easter holiday uh, and on for probably about a month to six weeks. And, um, you know, eventually they got into the system and they, they also negotiated with the hackers. Uh, and that's a key thing, really. And the purpose of negotiations is twofold. One, to establish what information the hackers have 
And secondly, uh, in our purpose, it was to delay uh, the release of the information because their, their modus operandi is twofold. One, to, to um, uh, encrypt your data so you can't function, but two, to exfiltrate it, to get it away from you uh, and to find whatever compromising data they can, uh, data that's damaging or embarrassing, and then put that up on the dark web. So, um, um, you know, we got various contingency plans on what we do if this happened. Um, but I've, as I've said elsewhere, it's like Mike Tyson once said, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. And, and, and our heads were reeling when this happened. Um, but the Easter holiday was a godsend because we had two weeks to rebuild. And um, it eventually involved switching systems on one at a time very carefully. And what hackers do is they put back doors in your system and that start to communicate out again and finding those back doors so we could get things going again. And, and I think we were hacked because they saw that we were a large organization with a very large budget. There is no morality in this. The fact we were schools doesn't come into it. They're criminals. They just want money. We could have easily been a, a hospital uh, or anything. Uh, they just saw, you know, they, they, they clearly studied our balance sheet. They'd seen the cash flow. And when our, um, our negotiator uh, was talking to them, it was clear they'd been all over the accounts. And there was an expectation that we would pay, pay this money. And so what we did was the negotiator delayed them and delayed them, which allowed us time to build our defences a bit better, establish what kind of information they had. And we decided that, you know, they could put that up and, um, you know, we would uh, we would just live with that, really, because we weren't going to pay. Um, and and so, you know, I guess the lessons learned are we we we. You know, other people might say, well, we're smaller than you. We, we don't have a large budget. Why would they hack us? But there are two ways you can be hacked. You can be actively hacked by somebody who attacks you, but you can be passively hacked by having someone click a phishing email and they can get into your system. So it's not someone actively trying to get you, but it's just loads of stuff out there that someone can inadvertently click onto that can open a hole in your system. So, um, you know, we had up-to-date up antivirus software uh, on a commercial basis, and we discovered the hackers got in on a Wednesday. They slept until Friday, and then on Friday evening, which is a classic time for this to happen, when your IT staff aren't there, their, um, their virus code unf unfurled on our system and our antivirus held it down the log show for, you know, four or five hours, I think. And during that time, they were sitting monitoring what was going on, the hackers, and they were able to write virus scripts in a bespoke way, which our antivirus couldn't see. Um, now, you know, you can't legislate for that. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, we, we were just unfortunate enough to have been attacked by a very sophisticated, resource-rich organisation. Uh, and and only, only last week, interestingly, 
the Russians announced that they've disbanded that organization, whether whether that's a, a um, you know a permanent move or not, I don't know, but there are, there are lots of others like them. And you know we're now working with our cyber partner to undertake a full audit of our system. So they're trying to penetrate the system in, in a number of different ways and find weaknesses and then give us a detailed report. And that's a process that goes on over a long time because your system's always evolving. And then we're putting in place fixes for all of the weaknesses that they find. And, and you know, you've got to cut this to your budget, but two things I'd say is regularly do phishing emails, get, get an outside firm to send your staff phishing emails that look really legitimate. They look as if they could be legitimate emails. And you'll be shocked at the number of people who are fooled by those and will click on them and will type their username and passwords in and give them to an attacker. And as much as you say to people, you know, you need to not do this, there'll always be a percentage that do it. But the more often you do this and then say to staff, look, you've just done this, the, the, the less likely they are to, to be caught by it. So that has to happen regularly. And then a periodic audit of someone looking for weaknesses in your system. Those are two things. But the third one is ultimately everybody can be hacked and anyone who thinks they can't be is, 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 is I'll be blunt, is foolish. So you then have to have a plan of action. And our plan was we had all of the contact details and medical details um, you know, in hard copy available in safes. And that meant we were able to be open because we could we could do our safeguarding stuff and make sure kids kids were safe and um, you know various other measures. So you know we 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 had a plan and the plan served us well enough. But you know it's a it's a modern phenomenon, something we're all all getting used to, uh, and it is a nightmare. Yeah, and uh, I mean it's an absolutely fascinating and, and and terrifying story but some some things that occur to me there um firstly how much of the physical um infrastructure of the schools was ultimately controlled by um you know um electronic and um cyber means so i think you kind of instantly think oh well if I can't use a computer what can i do but recognizing things like your fire systems and and entrance and exits to the building are kind of compromised in a situation like this like how complete and sort of total um you know and that that real very genuine question about whether or not you you could open um i, I think is, is is surprising also um you know as you were saying the, the sheer volume of people who have been um impacted by attacks of this kind making it the case that it's quite difficult to get support when you need it the most and the fact that a lot of people are keeping keeping that quite secret and it isn't being discussed, which is why it's so useful to have this, this conversation today and, and, and make people understand um, what can happen. And that, that, that also uh, with your, uh, um, once you have been hacked, that there is not very much that can can be done, and ultimately they did take some of your your data and 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 share it, so that you know everything that you can do to prevent is very they important because there isn't really much you can do yeah. afterwards. They got some staff details and they got some payroll details, um, and they got credit card information, and we cancelled all the credit cards, and they got information on suppliers. Um, but look, we're not we're not a commercial organisation, and where where they felt 
that supplier information for us was something embarrassing. It isn't, it isn't at all, but for some businesses where, where that would indicate the costs you're paying compared to other customers, it would be a big deal. Um, we um, signed all of our staff up to a, a cyber help desk and to a credit checking agency um, so they could instantly get an alert if anyone was doing anything with their identity. Um, and and, and pr pretty much, um, you know, it, that hasn't really been an issue for us. Um, but, but I think what's clear from the work we did with our uh, cyber partner friends, what's clear is that the number of organizations, including some educational organizations who are hacked and who keep it quiet, um, businesses, all sorts of organizations, um, and, 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 it, and it's a really, 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 really difficult thing. Um, but, you know, you can plan for it, you can uh, spend money on it, but there is a league table of hackers. And basically, you, the more you spend, you knock out the lower level players. And it's really how far up the table you can go in terms of knocking out players. But there'll always be people, you know, if they, if they can hack big organizations, um, you know, and, and Sony, Disney, Qualcomm, Apple, you know, we'll never be able to compete with that. And if they turn their guns on you, then then, then it boils down to what, what is your plan for dealing, it, what, dealing with it once it's happened? But uh, it really was an interesting experience and, 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 and a stressful one. But the main thing is we were able to get the teacher assessed grades out and, um, you know, everybody pulled together. There was a sense of team uh, across the group and, you know, it was really expensive. We, we had to scan every single device and given lockdown, you know, we bought lots of lots of laptops. We had tens and tens of thousands of devices, computers, laptops, uh, tablets. Every single one had to be scanned individually before it could be connected to the network. And, you know, we found the virus was randomly distributed. So you, you could go to a school and you could check hundreds of devices and it wouldn't be there and you'd find it on one. Mm. Somewhere else, find it on 10. So they all had to be checked. And we found that the standard commercial antivirus stuff we were using um, couldn't see it. So we had to get a special product from our cyber partners that we had then used to, to scan everything again. Um, and, and, and we had to buy in um, additional support. We had to buy in IT technicians. So we had more boots on the ground so we could do this simultaneously across our schools. And it cost us, the whole thing cost us about 600,000 um, pounds. And we had insurance and it's really important to have cyber insurance. And the cyber insurance covered most, but not all of it. Yeah. And as you, and as you say, you really have to think about it. it's all those individual devices and and, uh, you know, to the to the point about how the hackers get in in the first place. It does only really take, you know, one individual to, to make a bad decision and, and, and click on that on that email. So the, the, the importance of everybody understanding that and, and, and phishing emails are getting so sophisticated. I think that's the thing. People, people probably think they have a good sense of what looks sort of dodgy. 
Um, but as you say, these people are, are smart and getting ever smarter. They're, they're, they are so cunning. Um, and I, I um, the picture that you that you paint there, particularly of it happening on a Friday afternoon, because don't these things always happen um, at that point in the week? And then you being there on your on your jog on the Saturday morning. Um, when it when it's all all kicking off, um, it's obviously a really a really difficult time for the the organisation. But I'd like to focus on kind of you you personally. What did it what did it feel like um, to 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 lead through such a difficult time? Well, um, uh, I guess if you if you have a role as a head teacher or a chair of governors or a CEO of a group, that's that's what you're there for. So whatever happens. You've got to deal with it. Um, so it was clear to me we needed to sort it out. And um, it definitely was very stressful because, you know, it was an unknown situation and we were having to invent without. There wasn't a guide from the DFE. There was nobody to contact over that weekend. Um, so we had to kind of uh, work it out, really. Um, so it was stressful, but it was rewarding that we were able to get through it. And although it was exhausting, it definitely further strengthened the sense of team we have across the group. Um, so there was an upside to it. It wasn't all bad. I mean, we wouldn't want to go through it. Yeah. We wouldn't choose to go through it. But um, uh, yeah, it was horrendous, really. Um, but, but I mean, that, you know, as I said, that's what heads and chairs of governors and CEOs are for. Whatever, whatever, whenever a problem comes up, you've just got to deal with it. And we've certainly learned a lot from it, but I'd never say we couldn't be hacked again. No, and I mean, obviously you got, um, eventually you got really good quality support then. And one of the the aspects of the story that I think is is, is quite interesting is the fact that your, your sort of highly trained ex-army negotiator was actually posing as a relatively naive kind of member of the admin team when communicating um, with these criminals. Um, and it and it, it does really make you think. Well, obviously there was a lot of, of knowledge and expertise that was sort of behind that 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 trick, <laughs> but the reality yeah. is that um, you know someone else could find themselves in a situation where they where they were communicating directly with um, with these people and the kind of the layers of of, of judgment um, involved there for you. You know, when when somebody is you know demanding a heck of a lot of money with 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 menaces and and knowing how um you know important it is to keep keep data safe you know how how you how you felt through sort of that that period yeah i mean you're right we um so our our, our cyber partners um as i said were often ex-military and they had a trained hostage negotiator who'd worked who'd worked for the israeli military and he took on the persona of uh, a naive finance officer um, negotiating with these Russians. And I'm sure the Russians are probably aware of this game. I'm sure it's a dance that they all play regularly. But, um, you know, it would have been very difficult for us to negotiate directly with them. Uh, because we didn't know the rules of the game, if you like. We didn't know what, 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 what could happen. But, but having a professional do it for us was really useful because it strung things out and it allowed us to work out what, what more or less what they've got, 
how they'd managed to gain access and um, gave us a bit of time to start rebuilding. So, you know, we, we, we delayed them probably three weeks, three, four weeks before they started putting stuff up on, on the dark web. And you know, at one point they started ringing here, ringing our offices, looking for key personnel, senior personnel, um, to try and to try and persuade us to pay. Um, so it wasn't entirely a remote experience. You know, the threat was on the phone, um, uh, and they just wanted money, and they, they weren't swayed in any way by the fact that we were publicly funded. And they couldn't care less that we dealt with disadvantaged youngsters. They just wanted our money. Um, and and what was intriguing was, you know, they were saying things like, you know, and, and in return, we'll be able to do a full sweep of your network and advise you of any areas you need to look at. So it's almost <laughs> like we're your friends and we'll do you we'll do you this service. And I, and I know from this experience talking to other people, many of the high level hackers have got service desks that are probably better and more efficient than what you get when you contact your local broadband provider. Wow. It's, um, it's bizarre. Yeah, quite the sales pitch. We found all these holes in your system. We could fix them but, for you. <laughs> Yeah, as we move as we move into the internet of things where increasingly our domestic appliances you know your fridge your your tv you know your doorbell anything that they, they 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 are wireless and can be hacked this is a major problem not just for schools it's a kind of societal problem and you know people are talking about the future of warfare will be cyber based well yeah you can you can take down a whole country so it's something we all need to be uh, really, really aware of. Yeah, and um, I think to, to to your to your point about you know as as the CEO as the chair of of, of governors etc of an organisation you know you 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 do have to um, you know take take the lead and um, um, it all, all kind of rests with you with you. But I think what is so difficult as well, isn't it, is you, you kind of take a judgment on like you know. What 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 do I usually ask staff to do? You know, what are they what are they coming to work to do? And it's not taking phone calls with with Russian hackers. You think like that's just yeah. unreal, isn't it? Yeah, goodness yeah. me, Pro- pro- properly unreal. Um, it's fun for the memoirs. <laughs> in, indeed, indeed, and I think you know, as 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 we've said, you know, some people might, might listen to this and think, well, you know, you're a very large and prominent organisation, and you clearly have got a lot more on your on your balance sheet than than we do. Um, but I think you know what you're what you're saying is very clear that you know these these people don't care and have ways of getting um, you know these viruses and things out there that are very low effort for them. So they don't you know they can they it's not of no consequence to them. It, it it will you know stop you running aspects of your school inconvenience you and you you know and you potentially will have to go through this you know negotiation um process and you know that it it it's something that you have to be vigilant guard against assume could happen um to you um and that, that it's been really helpful to to hear more about how schools can can go about protecting themselves um, and, you know, is there anything that you, you've sort of done differently as um, a trust and particularly in relation to sort of your decisions around um, technology and ICT um, as a result that we haven't already discussed? 
Um, we've introduced multi-factor authentication in our secondary schools, definitely. So uh, when students are away from uh, the school and staff, uh, if they want to log on, um, they'll get a code to their phone uh, and they'll have to verify it's them. So that's one measure. And secondly, uh, we've, we, we're going through a long full audit uh, with, with a, an external partner, uh, which, is, which is identifying and logging all of the weaknesses they can find in our system. And we're busily working to fitch, fix each weakness as, as it's identified. So that's something we're doing that we didn't, we didn't do before, because clearly we relied on a very well-known commercial antivirus product and you know the hackers were able to just get go around the back of it so you know we're investing more in it but that that won't make us fully secure it'll make us more secure than we were in, indeed and yeah as i say thank you very much and it's 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 so important as as we've said to 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 share this story with other people and make them live to the possibilities of it happening but I'd like to to move on and 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 talk a bit more generally about about the systems that you've that you've created and evolved at, at the Harris Federation, and um, you know we you, we talked a little bit about um you know the kinds of schools that that you that you work in, um and I'd be interested to know about sort of where you initially focused your your efforts when you were first growing, and and how the systems have evolved as as you've scaled. Okay, so um, when I was ahead of one secondary, we were given almost at the same time two special measure secondaries to take on. And what I did was, the most important thing I did was realise that um, I needed subject specialist support to make the turnarounds happen. So I employed right at the beginning um, an expert head of subject in English, maths and science. And these were people who were going to go on and become deputy heads and possibly heads, but loved their subject and wanted to stay in the classroom. And they became the beginnings of a kind of troubleshooter team for school improvement that would go in and do turnaround. Because as a head, you can go in and you can do lots. But, you know, my subject was economics. I knew a bit of maths, but I couldn't claim to be an expert in English. I didn't know much about science. You need subject specialists to go in and do the turnarounds. And actually, those three people became um, the acorn from which an oak tree grew, because we now have probably 70 of them in the centre, subject specialists in a wide range of subjects. And their job is to work with the school. So if, if a new school comes in and is in trouble, a team of those people will go in and work with staff, coaching, mentoring, sharing the best schemes of work, identifying weaknesses, working to fix them. And they'll also work with our existing schools. Um, you know, from time to time, they need help. Someone goes on maternity leave. There's an issue, whatever. They'll lead heads of subject across the group in curriculum development, developing schemes of work, lesson planning, working out the best curriculum sequencing. So that kind of school improvement muscle or team was the most single most important thing we ever did because they became the basis for our success. And we have consistently been high performing. There's no guarantee we will be in future, but over the last 15 years, we've always had really good results. And um, 
those people have made the difference because they can provide hands-on support, um, guidance, uh, and the rest of it. And then around that, we built embryonic business support systems. So as we grew, we wanted to have economies of scale and schools would come in with a bursa, with you know, sometimes large numbers of IT technicians way beyond what they needed. Um, and what we would do is have one finance officer, a qualified accountant for four schools, uh, one IT network manager for four schools, and then maybe one or two technicians locally, uh, one HR business partner for a group of schools. And all we've done effectively is scale that up. So instead of having a bursa earning possibly 50, 60K in a school, um, we've got someone who can manage four schools at a high level with lower level people in the school. And so we've done that. We've, we've had that model throughout for finance, for HR, for um, IT. Um, and so we've and we've grown other services. So we've introduced a procurement team that procures centrally. Um, you can save vast amounts of money on silly things like, you know, bulk buying ink cartridges. Are you going to have all of your schools buy, you know, 60 different printers? Or are you going to standardize on a few printers and then bulk buy the cartridges, which is the real cost? Um, schools can have it, the, the IT any way they want in their school, but the back end is cloud based um, now. And um, the back end is identical across, but it, as, it's as it's deployed in the school, it can be whatever it needs to be to suit local circumstances. So I think we built a model where the schools can be different locally, depending on the circumstances, but the stuff that, that generates cost savings to put more money into teaching and learning tends to be standardized. And we, we show to our board that that kind of methodology saves about um, five to six million pounds a year that goes straight back in to teaching and learning, uh, central procurement and central management of business services. And in the end, we don't want heads uh, having to deal with difficult HR cases on their own. They need experts who are doing this all of the time. We don't want them worrying about buildings. We have a central team that can take care of that. We want them focusing on teaching and learning, which is after all what they're trained to do. So we try and reduce as much of the burden as possible but we don't want to be uh, a slow moving bureaucratic leviathan. So as we've grown, there's always that balance between retaining agility and avoiding becoming bureaucratic. And so, you know, we have user groups made up of principals and executive principals who tell us directly what they think of our IT service, our finance service and our different services. So hopefully we don't lose um, that sense of being on the front line and the sense of urgency we need to deliver for the schools because we've got that instant feedback and, and they're really good at telling us if it's no good. That's really interesting, I think. And, you know, something about almost developing like an internal customer mindset, as it, as it were. And I think, you know, it, 
the, the sort of the, the the picture, particularly for schools where you know uh, maybe about six seven years ago they just took everything from the LA and moaned about it, but it was the LA and you kind of had to. And then when you yeah. get the you know the growth of traded services and a bit more choice, uh, like and all, all 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 of a sudden lots of um, options to, to to consider are, are coming up. Um, but 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 sometimes it's sort of expected that they won't be very good, or you'll you'll, you'll moan about it, or the LA will still be carrying on doing the things the way that they do it and actually saying well you know you can feed back and say what you want and you know commercial commercial providers work in that way and know that if you know customers aren't satisfied they'll go elsewhere and 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 like you say having that kind of mindset is really interesting yeah i mean i i was ahead in the local authority uh and it wasn't particularly good local authority there are good local, many good local authorities one i worked in wasn't and, you know, the heads used to meet regularly and we'd all moan about the council. Well, I'm determined that we will never be an organisation like that where people moan about us. We want to have that agile approach. And to do that, we need direct feedback. Uh, and so we've set up systems and mechanisms to allow that to happen. And uh, you know, in the end, we aren't a provider of commercial services. We run schools. So I guess, you know, we never be as our commercial services never be as good as, uh, you know, PwC or KPMG or someone, but we want them to be really good. And the only way to have that is is demanding principles telling us what they think. Yeah, um, yeah, that's really interesting. And I, I think um, also um, w- what occurred to me at the beginning of what you said there about having your your kind of leads in, in English, maths and, and, and science going in with that real subject specialism rather than a necessary sort of all across school improvement mandate and that sort of larger sort of Ceph off steady conversation. You've just gone right in there. Um, with the teaching and and learning. And we've done the same at primary. So we've got a primary team and they lead on subjects as well as phases. And it's it's the same model at primary. But it means that if you've got key groups coming up to SATs or GCSEs or A-levels and you lose a teacher, you can have a crack uh, subject specialist go in and take those groups and be responsible for the results. So it's different to the old fashioned local authority model where you'd have a local authority advisor would come in, pontificate, give you some advice and go. Our people will be responsible for those results. So they'll be in a school. They could be in a school for two terms a year teaching if they're needed. So that's the single most important thing we've done, which has led to our results in recent years. We've been the highest performing large large multi-academy trust. And if you say, what is, how do you manage that? It's having that central school improvement force who are boots on the ground, who will teach and do teach and spend most of their time teaching rather than just pontificating. Yeah, as you say, rather than sort of waiting for the data to say, this isn't quite right, just get in there. Um, Fantastic. And... um, uh, we, we we do often talk about the the role of this the CEO being one that's sort of relatively new and kind of emerging and obviously opinion is split about you know should it be someone who's come up through the teaching and head teaching route and 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 all of these sorts of things but I'm interested to to hear from you as someone who's been doing the role for for a long time in in what yeah. is now a very large trust where do yeah. you find yourself putting your own energy and, and attention when there's so much to do and uh, what's, <laughs> what still excites you about the role well firstly 
you know, when you said, well, whether it has to be a teacher, you know, I think I'm going to say what I think. And I think it has to be a teacher. It has to be somebody who knows how schools run. Um, you know, it, if, if you were if you were the captain of a submarine, it's not just generic leadership. You need to know the technology of how that thing works. But if you're going to lead a group of schools, you need to know how schools work. Uh, and it might be possible that someone from a business background can do it. And there are some people out there who do do it. But on average, it's really hard for people without that background to do it. Um, and and yeah, my role is. I, I, the first thing I have to do is create a sense of identity for the group. You know, we've got a group of schools all across London uh, and and. You can generate more energy and more motivation if people feel part of something that has a mission and a purpose to it. And for us, it's about more than getting out of bed in the morning to pay your mortgage. I want staff who are energized by the fact that they're working with disadvantaged kids and they're actually really doing things that transform their lives. So, you know, we've got large numbers. We've got double the national average going to Russell Group. We're on about 24% compared to about 12, 13% nationally. And these are children who are first generation from ethnic minority, white working class, free school meals. We've got growing numbers going to Oxbridge. We've got growing numbers going into great apprenticeships. We've got above average um, levels of literacy and numeracy at primary. This is transforming lives because our kids don't look like and don't sound like the people who will interview them for jobs. They have not got sharp elbowed parents. They've got nobody who's going to do them any favours. We have to deliver for them. Now, that's what Harris is for. And my message at every opportunity is to bring people together at conferences. We have an October conference where we go to London Excel and we have 5,000 staff in what is effectively a big concert hall used for pop concerts. And then they go off to workshops and we do keynotes and, and so on. Uh, and we do, we do activities like that twice a year. We've got subject networks across the group for every subject. And at every opportunity, I'm reiterating to them what we're about. And that's the key role. That's a key role of the CEO because it creates a sense of purpose. If you're in Naris, you know what it's for. And then the second thing is, the buck stops with me and uh, we have to perform well and that's my job. So, you know, recruiting the best leaders, developing the best leaders, uh, having uh, succession planning and talent management, all of that stuff is really, really important. And most of our heads, not all of them, but most of our heads are homegrown. So they've come up through the ranks. And we're really proud when 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 people come through at Harris and go on to lead our schools. And we've got great people from outside as well, but mo most are most are internally grown. So a sense of a, a vision and a sense of mission that motivates people, recruiting and attracting great leaders, and then you know. A CEO should be an enabler, not someone who's telling people why they can't do stuff, but finding ways to make things possible. So, you know, redeploying your reserves to find where there are problems and, and, and put money to it to fix it. 
give people the tools that will allow them to solve the problems. So, you know, that's a key role of the CEO. Uh, and, you know, and, and also if there is underperformance, it's the CEO who's got to lead the tackling of that and also recognizing great performance. So it's a multifaceted role. And I'd say, you know, no, no two days are the same because the problems, the problems that the really difficult problems, whatever they are, and, and heads know this and chairs of governors know it, because it's the same for them. The stuff that's really horrible will percolate through to the top. Uh, and, you know, in every school, some rotten stuff will happen from time to time, but you multiply that across 51 schools. Um, so, you know, that, that's your job to deal with that and take the strain from the schools. So, you know, whether it's tribunals or hearings, we've got to make sure we can, we, we've got the people who can help the schools to do all of that. So um, I would say it's a, a fantastic, I, I thought being ahead was the best job in the world and I loved it. And now I think this is being the best job in the world. And I love it. Oh, well, that's a, a brilliantly positive uh, note to end on. And it certainly sounds like it is keeping you busy. So thank you very much for taking some time out to talk to us today. And thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of The Key for School Leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com. And please tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate, review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions. <laughs>